Well, good morning. I, um, I'm happy to be uh, speaking this morning. I can't wait to hear what I have to say. Uh, every time I went through this, it was a little different. But uh, I'm going to be talking about the Incarnation. And I have, uh, looking back, I've never actually spoken directly about the Incarnation. So I'm, I was happy to be able to give it, or have the opportunity uh, to rifle through the Scriptures. And this morning, admittedly, I am going to be, it's going to be a lot of Scripture, and I'm going to be kind of commentating in between. I want to take us right through why the Incarnation is so significant. And at Christmas, of course, we think of Bethlehem, where Christ uh, uh, was born and God became flesh. And if you look at the definition of Incarnation, it means to be embodied in flesh, to dwell in flesh. So it has to be something other than flesh that's indwelling flesh. And in this case, of course, it's God himself. So let's look at the common, uh, the the scripture that we read a lot at Christmas time, especially about the incarnation. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have, been, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me or may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And this is the, the passage where we understand how the incarnation took place, how God became flesh. And uh, there was, uh, Mary did not have a husband, but the Holy Spirit came on her and uh, she conceived the God child, which was to be born in Bethlehem later. John backs up from this kind of human uh, version of the incarnation and he gives uh, a kind of a bird's eye view from creation right to the incarnation where he talks in John 1 which was read during the uh, advent candle uh, lighting earlier says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I want you to think about that. Here is God standing in front of man. The word became flesh, and we did not even recognize that. It says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, 
To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh. This is incarnation. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who himself, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known to us. So nobody has seen God, but God became flesh and revealed himself to us in Christ. And Christ has, it says, the closest relationship with the Father. So Jesus is not just a godly man. Jesus is God in flesh. God among us. And he is in closest relationship uh, with the Father. Now, why does the incarnation even matter? It's not just a great mythological story that kind of makes you feel good that God came and lived among us for a while and so we can honor that through history. That's not what the incarnation's about. It's substantially more than that. In fact, the incarnation is, in history, the only point that matters. <laughs> the only point. If it did not take place, if God did not come and dwell among us, then the, the purpose of creation for man uh, would not be fulfilled, would never, could never be fulfilled. So let's back up and look at this creation. Before the beginning of the world, God existed. And it talks about the word existed with God and as God. And it became, he became flesh in Bethlehem. But back at the beginning of creation, God created all of the world, the heavens and the earth and the universe. The last thing he created was mankind. And regarding mankind, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. Now this is, uh, this is God's replica. Adam was God's replica. He was not God, unlike Christ. Adam was not God. He merely uh, was made in the image of God. He was a replica of, of God's uh, person. But that's not the only aspect of creation. It's the first aspect. He created man in his image, in his likeness. But then he went one step further, and it says... Um, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And this word breath that it talks about in the Old Testament, especially in this passage, it's, it's the same word as spirit. It's the unseenness of something, the wind, the breath. And God gave his spirit. He breathed himself into man. With no other creation did he share himself. He did not impart him, his spirit into any of creation except for man. And this is the original incarnation. Now, yeah, we have to make the distinction that Adam was not God. He was merely a likeness, a replica of God's image. But God breathed his image into man, and he became a spiritual living being. This is the eternal life. So spirit gives us eternal life. In the Greek, they call it zoe. And we think of Zoe, we think of eternal life as it lasts forever. But lasting forever is only one aspect of Zoe. Zoe is the nature of God. It's the 
uh, it's the spirit of God. It's his, it's his character, his, like, his image, his likeness, his spirit, everything about him, but not him, is eternal life. It happens to last forever, but that's not the only thing about it. So God literally embodied man through his spirit so that he could live forever and guide him uh, forever. Now, as we know, <laughs> the third aspect of creation was that God shared a close relationship with man. And man's part in that relationship was to live in obedience to God. And we forfeited that. We did not live in obedience. And God gave us just one command. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of that, you will certainly die. And as you know, God, um, man over time uh, took part of the, the bread or the, the, the tree <laughs> Uh, the knowledge of good and evil, and, and he died. And it records that um, curse that came upon us. It said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground from which you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Man was no longer going to live forever. We no longer had God's spirit within us, that Zoe, the life of God. And he said, it says, so God banished him, man, from the Garden of Eden. So we lost the relationship and we lost the life. The spirit was no longer in us. And for thousands of years, man lived in this distance from God on his own, having earthly life, but not Zoe, not spiritual life, not God's life, no incarnation. And a couple thousand years into this, uh, it records where God brought us uh, the law. And the purpose of the law was to bring us closer to God. It was to give us some of that relationship back that we had. But it was not the incarnation. The law, and I know I'm zipping through this, <laughs> but I'm getting to the main point later. The, the law atoned for sin. Through the blood of bulls and goats and, and all sorts of animals, God, God gave this practice whereby the people could show their obedience to him, shedding the blood of innocent animals in a symbolic gesture to cover their sins that they had created up until that time. And so every year, they would have to go and uh, provide more sacrifices to cover their sins. Atonement is covering. It is not forgiveness. It does not remove sin. It merely blankets it. It merely covers it. And so the sacrifice they would offer was God's way of allowing them to have a, a closer relationship with him. And the way that worked was from am among um, mankind, God called uh, a group of people, the Levites, called the priests. And the priests would administer the law. The priests would uh, explain the law. And it would provide people with a sense of guilt, for one thing, but also a way to atone for that guilt so that we could become closer to God. We were still not incarnate by any stretch of the imagination, but it improved our relationship with God. They oversaw the sacrifices, but it did not remove sins, so man still died. And in fact, from among the priests, there was one man, the high priest. And the high priest, every year, once a year, would go through uh, this purification ceremony to... Um, to make himself holy and pure, and he could come into the presence of God once a year. The high priest only. And so it's like God allowed man to, 
to have this proximity. One man would come close to God into his presence. And then he, for the rest of the year, would be God's kind of symbolic display of God's presence through the priests and through the sacrifices. And people could atone for their sin so that they could feel closer to God. But the law was only about proximity. And you think of proximity. If, if, if I come closer to you, there's a greater sense of my presence when I'm standing near you. That was what the law did. The law allowed for people to feel the presence of God in a closer proximity. But that's all it could do because man was still sinful. The only thing they were doing was covering their sins so that they had permission to come closer to God. It was a symbolic display of their obedience, and, but they could not remove their sin. They could merely just cover it up. And every year they would pr- provide the same sacrifices to cover for the previous year's um, sins. And Hebrews tells us this was never meant to, to be God's final plan. It was merely a shadow, it says in Hebrews, a shadow of the good things that were coming, not the realities themselves. And for this reason, it could never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, it could not make perfect those who drew near to worship. Otherwise, they would have not stopped, or otherwise would they not have stopped being offered, he says. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices were only an annual reminder of their sin because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so he says, this law, which God provided to allow people to feel closer to him, merely improved their lives, but did not restore this eternal life, this Zoe, to them. They still were guilty. They still died. But God reached out to them and drew them in closer relationship, uh, which is his, his desire. And this brings us to the Incarnation to God uh, indwelling flesh. Because in, it was in the age of law that God became flesh through Christ. And so, uh, where the law provided this temporary improvement in man's relationship with God, the incarnation was to provide everlasting life. And it was to completely restore our relationship with God. And I don't think we kind of understand the incarnation, even as New Testament believers. We think of it only as Bethlehem, where God became flesh. But I want to take us through the New Testament, where it it highlights the incarnation of man time and time and time and time again. And I'm going to, again, rifle through some scriptures here. But I want you to understand, I don't want you to think of this logically and that, okay, that's what's happening. I want you to understand for yourself what God's design is for man. And that means for you. And so, under this age of law, uh, God became flesh. Philippians Philippians says about Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So this is the major distinction between Adam and Christ is that uh, Jesus was God. He wasn't just a godly man. He wasn't just made in God's image, a replica. He was God in human flesh. 
And so uh, he comes to earth as this innocent, completely guiltless man and lives his life. He empties himself of his deity, if you will. He, he did not consider that to be something to be held on to. But he became a man and acted uh, as a man on earth. And he now acts as the high priest. But he still needed to be filled with the Spirit because he was acting only as a man. And in Luke 3.21, it says, As he was praying, heaven was opened up. And the Holy Spirit, this is the breath, this is the pneuma, this is the Greek equivalent of what, they, what it says in, in Genesis where it says he breathed into man. This is what's happening. He's breathing into Christ. This, it, the Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. Jesus himself was 30 years old when he began his ministry. So Jesus had so much emptied himself of his de- deity, if you will, to become God in flesh and act only as a man. He could not represent us if he came and acted like God on earth. He came and acted as a man, emptied himself, and became a servant. So he needed also to be filled with the Spirit in order to, uh, to live that God life um, that he was destined to live. And so he was filled with the Spirit. Now you would think, back to John 1 again, where it says, and the Word became flesh, but we did not recognize him. You think if Jesus was standing here and hadn't introduced himself, we want to think we would just know it was him because this is God in flesh. He came to his own. They didn't have a clue. They did not recognize him. And so I think we need to get past the hurdle that there's some exceptionality about this that everyone would see that this was God. We need to get past that because we need to also embrace what God has done for us by filling us with his spirit and we think, well, if he did that, of course, I would be an exceptional human being. So we anticipate something other than what God has designed because it doesn't look spectacular. doesn't look supernatural, although it is. And so we need to embrace that God has, has filled us. And so much so, Jesus was working with the disciples, signs, wonders, miracles, and they were still saying this to him, uh, Philip Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. In other words, show us God, show us the Father and we'll be absolutely convinced. That's what will finally get us past the hurdle to know that we know that we know that God is with us. And so uh, Jesus responds to him, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Incarnation. The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. If you love me, keep my commands. This is the obedience part again restored. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you 
and will be with you forever. The spirit, the breath, the pneuma, the spirit of truth. So Jesus said, um, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you his spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you, proximity, and will be in you, incarnation. You have to understand that the timing here, Jesus is still with them. And so he is their advocate. But he said, when I go away, I will send, I will ask the Father and he will send the Spirit. So right now, the Spirit is with you in proximity through me, he said. But when I go, the Spirit will come and he will be in you and restoring the purpose of man. The world cannot accept him because, or just wait, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, incarnation, and that you are in me and I am in you, also incarnation. This is not, this is, this, we, we can't breeze by this and think that this is kind of cool that God comes back to us in the form of the Spirit. If we're still thinking proximity, if we're still thinking that God somehow made another way to become closer to us so that we could feel his presence and kind of be bolstered by that, oh good, he's right here with me. Good. It's like, he's like right here. All we've done is just decrease the distance we felt from God. It's still proximity. That's still the law. That's law thinking. The New Testament is about the restoration of incarnation. <laughs> he says, he is with you, but when I go and, he, and the Father sends him to you, he will be in you. <laughs> the mystery is restored. And so this is important to really think through. And we know that uh, in Acts 2... This is when the fulfillment of the, uh, the Spirit coming was, uh, took place. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound of a blowing and violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So this is critical to understand. This is the restoration of what creation was. When man was created in God's image and he filled them with his spirit and and lived in close relationship with them. This is where this is restored, where God is again giving us his spirit to live within us. And we are given his spirit to make us alive again. Zoe, eternal life. Not just that it lasts forever, but it is the substance of God himself in us. Gives us his nature. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it describes the incarnation. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought into the fullness. And he is the head over every power and authority. If we were to compare what the Spirit has done back to what the law provided... The law was replaced by the Spirit. Where the law atoned for sin, simply covered it up for a year, the Spirit forgives sin, removes sin. The law improved the relationship with God. 
The Spirit restores full relationship. The law improved our earthly life through our obedience, but we died in our sin. The Spirit restores eternal life. The Spirit gives you eternal life. And the sacrifice was not bulls and goats. The sacrifice was Christ himself. Where the law brought mankind closer to God through increasing levels of proximity, the Spirit brings us back into that incarnate relationship with God. Uh, His life, his nature has been once again embodied in mankind. These are the comparisons. Christ has restored us to what Adam was created with. Does it feel like that to you? (laughs) Sometimes we think of Oh, Adam had it, you know, Adam had it made and he messed up. How could he possibly forfeit that? The New Testament says, you, if you belong to Christ, you have been restored to what Adam had. The Spirit of God is in you. And yet, like Philip, it's like, yeah, but just show us the Father and that'll finally convince us. Then I will feel like it's true. Uh, Our doubt, the Word became flesh, but... We did not recognize him. And we still don't recognize that even in us. That Christ is in you. Christ is in you. This is incarnation. Uh, We we feel like unworthy vessels, so we still keep him at proximity. We still keep him at a distance. We still wish, oh, I just wish, you know, if I obey, I will feel closer to God, like the old law provided. But it's Christ in you. And your sin has been forgiven. And so in that context, um, all sorts of scriptures begin to gather uh, more weight. Romans 8, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be an offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And Jesus said when he's in you, it's, it's, uh, and though we, we die, yet shall we live. Eternal life has already begun for us. Our body is still subject to death, but even that will be resurrected on the final day. And so we see this model is similar uh, to the priesthood that God provided, but it's not proximity. It's not God wanting to be closer to you. It's God filling you. And I think sometimes, at least if you're like me, sometimes that is a distant thought. Sometimes I walk through my days and it's like, Oh God, how can I get... I'm going to pray and so I'll feel closer to you. It's like if I become spiritual for a while, that proximity will increase and I'll feel a little closer to you. And out of my mind is completely the thought that even while I felt distant from him, 
He was completely in me. I was not aware of his incarnation, but he has always been aware that he's been here with me. He's always aware that he's with you, even when you're not aware of his, uh, his presence in you. The Hebrews, comparing it to the Old Testament, says sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you didn't desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second law. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. And it's become a permanent priesthood. It says there have been many of those priests, talking about the old law, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. The old law covered sin. The new law, Christ has removed your sin. It's his sacrifice. I think sometimes, if you're like me again, you still live in the mindset of the old law. I've got to become more obedient so I can get closer to God. You're still playing on the old equation. The new equation is that he has already saved you completely. And he is in you by his spirit. And there is nothing you can do to remove that because he is your high priest. It is his sacrifice. (laughs) And so if we can get ourselves to understand this and the restoration, the walk back to the presence of God is not through, oh, punishment and obedience and sacrifices and if, if I sacrifice enough God will honor me and come closer to me you can't get rid of God <laughs> it's only in your mind that he's at a distance he is always with you he says he will never leave you there have been many of these uh, priests but we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven Jesus the son of God We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We need, I think we, if we understood what Christ has done for us, we would get past this legal mindset that thinks I need to do something to earn my way closer to God. It literally is, he has done everything that needs to be done to fill you. And if we live in that, we know that he is right with us. I'm going to... uh, slides are working here. He's given us a ministry. We are now the role of the priests on earth. And so it says we are a kingdom and, and priests to serve God. And our ministry is literally what the Old Testament ministry was where they 
went among the people and explained how you can come closer to God, our ministry is no different. But our ministry is not about explaining. Our ministry is not about, here's how you can earn your way to God. Our ministry replaces us having to be the priest, and it's Christ in us that is the hope of the world around us. And so don't think of your ministry of evangelism as something that, oh, I've got to come up with wise words to convince people. It's, it's literally God's presence in you that reaches people. And so we have this ministry that God has given us um, whereby he allows us to be his presence. It says, The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed in the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And in Peter, Peter writes, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. This is incarnation, Christ in us. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires. I want to call the worship team back up just as we're uh, closing off here. If we look at what God has done for us, uh, the incarnation, let's not think that Bethlehem, that God being coming to mankind in, his, in flesh was his only purpose in that. His purpose was once again to fill man, that whoever would come to him, he will uh, fill them with his spirit, with his presence, that eternal life is ours once again. So incarnation is not just about God in flesh in Jesus Christ. It's about God in flesh in the church, in his people, that he dwells in you. How many of you live with that presence that God is not just either closer or farther based on my obedience like the old law prescribed. That's not the way it is anymore. He is in you. And he never leaves you. He never will leave you. He is your high priest. It's his sacrifice that God is relying on. And because of that, we come boldly, it says, before the throne of grace with great confidence. We don't shy our way into his presence. We don't try to undo our sin and cover it for another year so we don't feel guilty and we can come before his presence. We don't have the guilt and the shame because of Christ. That does not mean that in our minds that sin still gets in our way. Still, still sin gets in your way. But it's in your way. It's not in God's way, if I can put it like that. You have a clear path. And repentance only brings our mind 
back to his work. It does not undo our sin. Our sin has been undone through Christ. And so that repentance of ours is to restore us to a sense of what God has done, to an understanding where we can walk in that with confidence. I just want to pray just before we sing. Would you bow your head? Just close your eyes. and I want you to think sincerely, and I pray that the Spirit would use this now, that I'm sure at different times in your life, and maybe even today, you feel distant from God. Maybe you've given your life to Christ and you feel at times you're still very distant from Him. The temptation is to to do more, to go to church more, to read your Bible more, to pray more, so that you can feel a closer proximity to Him. Please don't think like that. That's the old law. And it only brings either shame or guilt if you're no good at doing that. Or it brings brings a sense of arrogance and pride if you succeed. It's like, I earned my way to God. That is not the equation we live under. Jesus Christ paid for all of that. So, not so that you could feel closer to him when you're pure, but that he could live in you. That he could always be with you. And even though your mind may wander and you're not always aware of his presence, think of this. Jesus is always aware that he is in you in you, not just mankind in general, in you. He's always aware that Jesus, that his spirit is in you. He is there with you. How would that change the way you pray when you know he's right here in me? How would it change your worship when you're not worshiping so that you can feel closer to him or he would come closer to you because of your purity? But you worship because you recognize He's in you. He's in you. It would change your prayer. It would change your worship. It would change the way you live among the world. Because you have the confidence not only to come into his throne room, but you have the confidence to live among a world that is now distant from you because you're not of the world, it says. So you have the confidence to reach out to them and become the ambassadors of Christ, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. And it's Christ in you that is the hope of their glory. And so allow him to just fill you and and lead you and guide you. Allow him to give you the sense of where you should go, but not to earn proximity, not to earn a closeness. You have that. I want to pray this prayer from the book of Ephesians where Paul was writing, I want to pray it over you and over myself. He said, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I just invite, if you want prayer, there's always leaders of the church here who would pray with you if you want to rededicate your life or, or, or give your life. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ where he, you've never taken advantage of the fact that he wants to restore his very purpose for every man, not just mankind in general, but for each individual. There will be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Anyway, worship team.